0: It's been about a week since the members of the General Synod of the Church of England returned home via train and car and the occasional boat and plane after a long weekend discussing matters of sexuality and gay stuff. Actually, to be fair, there was other stuff talked about at General Synod, but it didn't seem to get the headlines. And, well, we all know what the real centre point of of the Synod was. It was the two controversial motions, one on conversion therapy and one on transgender issues. And still seven days later we're talking about them and still seven days later we are processing them and still seven days later we haven't put them down. And I've been reflecting over this past week as to what for me was the key problem with what happened. And it was simply this, where were the bishops? Where were the bishops? I mean yes, There were one or two bishops, chiefly the Archbishop of York speaking to Synod at the key points in both of the debates going we must vote for this, we must do this, we must give the signal. But but where were the rest of the bishops? Where were the theologians? Where was the apostolic leadership, the doctrinal defence? Where were the bishops talking about due process? About how we can only shape our liturgy when we've done our theology first? I mean, this is how we do stuff in an Anglican church. Where were they? And there are various answers that have been uh, offered to me over the past few days as to what they were doing. The first is that the bishops have caved in. That the bishops have surrendered to the zeitgeist that they don't care if we start uh, introducing l- l- liturgies for whatever pet motion comes to the Synod next time. They just can't. They just don't care less. Well, I don't believe that. I think the bishops do care. I think some of them care really deeply, uh, not necessarily in the right way, but, but they do care deeply about this stuff. So what were they doing? Perhaps it's been argued they were letting the revisionists have their day. After the bloodbath, and it was a bloodbath of the February group of of Synod, where the motion from the House of Bishops was overturned and all hell broke loose, as it were, though you know, all hell breaking loose in the Church of England is a bit of an of an overstatement these days. Hell seems to be uh, rampant everywhere. But all hell broke loose. And so after that, and after getting mauled by the synod members, they decided that in the July sessions the revisionists would have their way and then they could just roll back afterwards. So for example, it's been suggested to me that the reason why the transgender proposal got through, as Archbishop York, as the Archbishop of York pointed out, was that the proposal only said that the House of Bishops might consider bringing forward liturgies after a proper theological process so look it gives the house of bishops some wriggle room but here's the problem with that view the problem with that view is simply this, that the two motions at Synod last weekend, the first on conversion therapy, which handily never got around to defining what conversion therapy is, so it can be used as a stick to beat any evangelical or good Anglo-Catholic who simply wants to pray with somebody who is gay, who just wants to live a celibate life. The two motions present a momentum, a direction of travel that will be very hard to move. Yes, perhaps politically, the bishops thought they were just sort of shutting up and letting the revisionists have a rant that they didn't really need to do anything about at all. But actually, what they've done in doing that is presented to Synod a large open goal, which they're now going to have to decide who the goalkeeper is to rush in in front of the penalty shootout that's about to come. Were they actually signalling a new direction? But if they were, they were doing it really poorly because they weren't presenting any theology whatsoever. We talked about this last week. We talked about the fact that you can't have a motion for liturgy for transgender welcome if you haven't defined what the church thinks about transgender issues. I mean, for heaven's sake. We couldn't even decide whether our motion for for liturgy was operating in a dual binary idea of gender or a fluid motion of gender with more than two genders. We we hadn't even done that groundwork, and yet we thought we could have a a, a liturgy to welcome people after a transgender change what kind of change we never defined it will it have to be surgery if so what kind of surgery if not uh, at what point can we do it? Do we wait until somebody has lived out in their new in their new gender identity for six months, for one year, for two years? Who decides? We hadn't worked all those things, and yet the House of Bishops was happy to to nod through the idea that yes, we can do liturgy for this. We'll we we'll 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 have a stroke of our beards. Um, women bishops accepted, and unless you know something about women bishops that, that I don't, we will have a stroke of our beards and we will, we will think about doing this. They should never have said that we can think about doing this because we just hadn't done the underlying work. So perhaps... They were signalling a new direction, but if they were, it was a very poor attempt at doing so, and it came with a huge whopping signpost that from now on we'll be doing liturgy via emotion rather than deep, thoughtful Bible study. Where were the bishops? Where were the bishops? Well, look, they didn't seem to be anywhere. And it could be that the bishops are now going to come together and put forward a more coherent, biblically solid front. But it could be that they're going to cave in. So this is what traditionalists, evangelicals, Anglo-Catholic, and middle-of-the-road traditionalists need to do now. You need to look at your parish accounts and you need to look at the parish accounts of those in your diocese who agree with you on the fundamental issues and you need to talk to yourselves about what would happen if you all turned off the taps to your diocese. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. I can think of one diocese, just just one of the diocese in particular, where if all the even vaguely conservative churches were to just turn off their giving, their parish share, giving it, they were just to do that, like that, There would be millions lost. You would bankrupt the diocese within half a year. You would have a cash flow problem, an immense problem, financial problem, in funding the basic mission and ministry of the diocese. And listen to me, brothers and sisters, we need to be serious about this because what we need to be able to do is we need to be able to go to our bishops and we need to say to them, brother, sister, bishop, you are perfectly entitled To hold whatever view you want but you must understand that we are anglicans and we take our anglicanism seriously and we cannot we cannot permit this diocese to condone and promote liturgies for theology that is deeply unchristian and so brother bishop sister bishop this is what we will do if you authorize these liturgies if you permit this ungodly teaching to occur, we will simply turn off the funds. This is how much you will lose per month. Go away, talk to your diocesan chief executive, talk to your treasurer, work out what the impact would be upon your ministry. Remember, brother Bishop, sister Bishop, you still have to pay our stipends. you can't just you can't just stop paying our stipends while we undertake the 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 ministry of the church of england in our parishes you have a legal obligation to pay that but we have no legal or statutory obligation to give you any money whatsoever we don't even have a statutory obligation to give you the money for the stipend for our clergy understand us very well brother bishop sister bishop This is what we will do. Because let me tell you, dear listeners, nothing but a clear understanding in the hierarchy of what the impact will be of moving forward on these issues, nothing but that clear understanding is going to stop it. Now, ideally, what the House of Bishops should do before February is come back to Synod, come back to the Church of England and say, look, look guys, look girls, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do our teaching document. We're going to come to a coherent view of the body, of biological sex, of gender, of sexual activity and marriage that is rooted in the scriptures and the traditions of the church. And we're going to explore how that is lived out in the experience of Christian men and, and women. We are going to do that. We are going to take time over it and come up with something coherent that we can all own. Or if we cannot own it, we are going to restate what the traditional position is because we cannot move from the traditional position position until we all agree to move. We are going to do that. We are going to prepare that document and until we have prepared that document we are not going to move forward on any of these things because they directly impact the work that we are doing and they prejudge it. Now if the House of Bishops came and said that and said it very clearly and unambiguously then then we could have confidence in them. Then we could have confidence that the bishops will take their role as the guardians and defenders of the faith once delivered very seriously. And we could support them in that. But if not, we need to say to our brother bishops, our sister bishops, Bishop, understand what the consequences of your actions. And here's the problem, guys. Here's the problem. We simply do not have agreement for change. We simply do not have a shared common understanding of what our theology in these areas should be. And because we don't, we have no pastoral coherence. Just think about the basic, simple question. Somebody who is gay comes to their parish priest and says, what should I do? how should i live my life should the priest recommend to them to live a life of celibacy being open to a marriage with somebody of the other sex if that were to happen but to be but to be uh, but to be sure in themselves that, that that may not happen and so to 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 gear their life and to find pastoral support for a life of celibacy Or should the parish priest say to them it's okay to enter into a same-sex relationship? On this most fundamental of pastoral issues we have no agreement. We are divided on these things because we are divided on the underlying theology to guide our pastoral practice. And we cannot embody and agree a pastoral practice until we have agreed a common theological viewpoint in the same way that we cannot introduce liturgy to support our pastoral practice if we have not an agreed theological basis. So we are caught between a rock and a hard place and the logical, consistent, rational, Christian thing to do at this point would be to say unless we can agree a way forward on these things we should stick with what we have traditionally believed. But you know what? I bet that isn't going to happen. Brothers and sisters, for the first time in my doing this for way over a decade, of writing, of thinking about, of, of talking about what's happening in the Church of England and the Anglican Communion. For the first time, after the Synod last weekend, for the first time, I am taking seriously the idea of the Church of England apostatising. So, really, there are only two responses to that. The first response comes from the bishops. The bishops wants to stop people like me who have been institutional fans while others have criticized our current archbishops our current leaderships I have been an institutional fan I have been a, a proponent of Justin Welby and others I have been supporting them vocally against criticism When someone like me goes, you know what, for the first time, I think I can see a clear danger of us apostatizing. The bishops must take that seriously and they must demonstrate to someone like me that they are prepared to stand up for the Orthodox faith. Because if they don't do that very clearly, we will assume that they are not going to do that when it comes to the next synod vote on these issues. And secondly, as I laid out at the start of this podcast... Those of us who take these matters seriously need to look at our financial statements, need to partner in the gospel with those in our diocese who are also concerned about the the, the developments. We need to have a realistic, honest discussion about where our money goes. Now is not the time to take away our money, but now is the time to understand what the impact of taking away our money would be and if necessary, to be ready to communicate that up the chain of command. We are, after the events of last weekend, at a very precarious place in the Church of England. When somebody who is an institutional proponent like myself is prepared to look at alternatives to continuing the status quo in the Church of England is prepared to look at the Anglican form of civil disobedience, which is the withdrawing of parish share. When someone like me is prepared to do that, the institution needs to sit up and take note and consider what it does next because trust me i am not alone in this i've had a number of conversations with people up and down the country in the last week people who like me are are naturally loyal to the institution naturally loyal to our current archbishop justin welby but we are so concerned so concerned after what happened last weekend this is radio free canterbury and i'm peter old